On Sunday night, the two best teams in Major League Soccer squared off in what should be the first of many meetings between these two sides, and it did not disappoint. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me, as always, is Ivis Galarza. Let's crack it, Ivis. Nothing much, Garrett. It's uh, been a few days now. It's been a week since we had a show. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to get a show off the, off the ground last week, but we've got plenty to catch up on. I know everyone wants to hear our takes on the uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, Don Garber, uh, Battle Royal, uh, but, and we'll definitely get on, on that uh, very shortly. But first, we have to talk about MLS Week 33 and LA Seattle, the first of what could be four meetings between these two powerhouse teams. And, it, and the first one definitely did disappoint. Oh, yes. It's Sunday night matchup between these two teams that are both, I was competing for the top dog to finish this year to win the Supporters' Shield. The game was at home. For the LA Galaxy, Landon Donovan's farewell match, and it definitely seemed like the LA Galaxy were going to walk away with the victory in this one when they jumped up 2-0. But all of a sudden, Ivis second half comeback from the Seattle Sounders, and uh, I mean, look, I, I don't want to say it right now, Ivis, but they definitely look possibly like the team to beat right now with that second half comeback over LA. Well, you know, you can't read that much into one game. They're the team to beat when you want to talk about the supporter shield. Uh, I think the result, obviously. Puts them in the driver's seat as far as that goes. But, look, as we all know, the playoffs are a different animal. Uh, the Galaxy, you know, tonight they, they obviously let one get away from them. And if you're Seattle, you have to feel good about uh, the fight that you showed and the ability to go at L.A.'s de- defense. That was huge. And also being able to contain Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan, which teams uh, uh, haven't been able to do for months now. Uh, so from that standpoint, yes, you have to feel good if you're Seattle. And uh, now all they need is a draw in, this, in the return return matchup next weekend but mm-hmm. as far as looking ahead and talking mls cup and all that that i don't think anyone should read much in out of this game i think you have two great teams it really is a bit of a coin flip who's going to win out of these teams but when you want to talk about the supporter shield seattle has to be feeling pretty good right now well you know you shouldn't be too worried i mean landon donovan promised that they're going to win the cup after the game well he's won a few i think he, he knows a little, he's won i think how many has he won five four five <laughs> he's, he's won like He's won four or five, so I mean, he knows what it takes to win. And look, he didn't—he didn't come through tonight. I mean, he was pretty invisible. It was funny that you know they had the hashtag "Thanks LD" uh, in honor of his last game at, at you know at home for them, and you know the hashtag that really applied tonight was hashtag Where's LD because he wasn't really he wasn't really that active. Uh, him and Keen, I thought Seattle did a good job. Of kind of, Chad, Chad Marshall did a good job, especially with Robbie Keen. Uh, and then you had Obafemi Martins and Clint Dempsey, you know, especially in the second half, really step mm-hmm. it up. Uh, and they won this first kind of matchup of the of the dynamic duos. And uh, Obafemi Martins, man, he, you know, he was a little, a little quiet earlier on. He had a one shot, great save from Pinedo, but he really turned it on in the second half and showed why people have him in the thick of the MVP conversation. Well, I think it also helped though that DeAndre Yedlin, you notice a little bit more in the second half too, was able to get up the pitch, and he did contribute to that to the goal that Clint Dempsey had when Yedlin serviced from the outside wing. Obafemi Martin's got a touch on that one. But, but for, I mean, for you, Ivis, I mean, what, what really changed for Seattle? Because, yes, Omar Gonzalez did get a red card, but that was already a mute point. At, the, at that point, the match was still it was 2-2. That happened after both goals that Seattle scored. I mean, what did Seattle do in this match to be able to overcome that two-goal deficit? Well, I think you saw LA kind of have a letdown. They, had, they took control of the game. They're up 2-0, and I think they just kind of slowed up a bit. And then, I, and then I, I can recall Obafemi Martins getting a yellow card uh, for a tackle, and he, he was he it seemed to fire him up. And I think once he got fired up, and once Siggy Schmidt made the substitution, 
brought in Marco Papa for uh, for Brad Evans. I thought those those things kind of set the wheels in motion, and you saw Seattle really start to take control of the match from then on. And and look, Seattle they've shown throughout the year that you know even if they have a first half that's not the greatest, they'll turn it on in the second half and and, and hit it in another gear. And I think that's what they did here. Uh, LA, you know, they really needed to put this one away. Obviously, you're up 2 0. You, you want to feel good about that. But, you know, they, they needed to put one more away to kind of just, you know, see off Seattle. And now now it's uh, it's tough for them. They have to go up to Seattle. They have to win. Mm-hmm. And they have to do so without Omar Gonzalez. Now that he got a second yellow card, he's out for that game. Uh, and look, that is that it's not an impossible task, but it's going to be real tough. And I think the only way LA LA is going to win in Seattle is if it, it turns into a real shootout. And and you're talking like a th- you know four three game, uh, a three two type type game where there's a lot of goals scored. And LA could do that because Robbie Keane, we've seen through the years, Robbie Keane go up to Seattle and wreak havoc. So that's still a possibility. But right now, you have to lay Seattle's chances to go back up back home and get a point, get the draw that they need. So, so right now, you, I, I know you can change as the week progresses, but right now you have Seattle, though. For the Supporters' Shield, yes, but I have not changed my stance on MLS Cup. I still think the Galaxy are going to win MLS Cup. And, uh, you know, I, I think I just think no, nothing has changed my mind on that. Although I, I give Seattle a chance. Obviously, you have to. The, the Seattle is, this is not the same Seattle team that lost to L.A. two years ago and lost to L.A. four years ago in the playoffs. They're a better team, tougher team. Uh, stronger team, deeper team. They have the components to win a title. I just think LA is going to win it. I just think LA, with their quality, I think defensively, uh, more often than not, they're better than Seattle. Um, and I think that's kind of where they have the edge. I think the, when you want to talk about the attacks, I think they, they, both their attacks are pretty similar, uh, pretty equal in terms of quality. So it, it's, it's, it's them and then there's everybody else. And I know folks in the East are going to be like, well, what about DC? What about New England? And yes, those teams have done well, but I mean, you have like for me, Seattle and LA are in their own category, and then it's everybody else. Well, in that right now, you have like you both said, sixty-one points in the uh, Eastern Western Conference. Uh, a lot of things would happen, but but one of those teams will walk away with the Supporters Shield uh, after Saturday. Uh, moving over to the Eastern Conference, Ivis Columbus Crew, New York Red Bulls. The Crew defeat New York three to one. That is now four wins out of the last five matches for the Columbus Crew. They are playing really well right now, Ivis, and continuing. The theme for the Columbus through getting performances from so many different players. Aaron Schoenfield, first brace of his career in this match. And, I mean, it, leaves the, it begs the question, Ivis, but the way the crew are playing right now, how dangerous can they be in the playoffs? Oh, let me tell you, I have fully reserved my seat on the Columbus crew bandwagon. They are a legitimate team. They're a dangerous team. They're a handful for anybody in the Eastern Conference. And right now they're, they're, they're playing with some serious confidence and they are no longer uh, Federico Iguain and the Pips. It's not. It's not Iguain and Ten. Just nobody's out there. They're playing like a team. Uh, Greg Berhalter's system, possession-based system, uh, pressure, pressuring all over the field. They're they're just playing so well as a unit. And you know, I think people who haven't been paying attention to them uh, might look at this result and be shocked by it. You know, might have, might come away and say, "Wow, how did that happen?" But they really shouldn't be. I mean, Seattle, I mean, Seattle, sorry. Columbus in the last nine games, they're 6-2-1. Uh, and they've won eight games. They, they, they had a stretch. It's crazy to think about it. They had a stretch in the middle of the season where they had one win in 16 matches. Yeah. And they were going through a lot. You know, it was a rough time for them. They couldn't get the results. They, they got a lot of draws in there, but they just weren't getting the wins. But then finally, the system that Greg Berhalter kept sticking to 
st- finally started to click, and you, you saw guys like Ethan Finley, Justin Merrill, Tony Chani really step their games up, and now the balance on that team, uh, it, it's impressive, man. And I got to tell you, they absolutely outplayed the Red Bulls. And I know the, the talk after the game from the Red Bulls was, you know, that they were flat, that they didn't come out to play, that they didn't give their best. Like, honestly, man, it, it, I really don't think it was that about that at all. I think it was uh, Columbus, Columbus is a better team. I think Columbus, when all said and done, the way Columbus is playing right now, they're just playing at a better level, at a higher level than the Red Bulls are. And if these teams meet again, I would put my money on Columbus again, just because I think it's a matchup. As far as matchups go, I just think they match up really well with the Red Bulls. And not to say the Red Bulls have no chance. I mean, the Red Bulls had chances today. Uh, Steve Clark came through with some big saves for them. But I just think Columbus, the way they're playing, the confidence that they're playing with, um, they they're, they could beat, honestly, they could beat anybody in the Eastern Conference. Well, it's a huge win also because when you look at it, Columbus was able to leapfrog New York Red Bulls. They have a match uh, this weekend against the Philadelphia Union. If things work out for them, Ivis Sport in Kansas City, Columbus could jump then even more. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, Ethan Finley. Ivis' third season, you know, this is the first year he did score a goal. Previous two seasons at Columbus, he did not score any goals. 11 goals on the season for him, seven assists. I mean, out of him, what what, what have you seen that's been, you know, enabled him to have just this huge breakthrough for him with the crew? Well, I just think that, well, number one, the system uh, really kind of plays to his strengths. I mean, you're talking about a midfield that's looking to uh, to feed him the ball. Uh, the fullback play for them has, has been really good. I thought today, for example, I was at the Red Bulls, the Crew Red Bulls game, and and you know to have two converted midfielders playing fullback for you in Bernardo Inor and Hector Jimenez, it gives them that extra quality, that extra passing quality on the flanks. Their fullbacks love to attack, and I think and it's not all the system. Obviously, Ethan Finley deserves credit as well. Uh, you know when he came out, uh, came out of Creighton, you know he was a goal scoring forward, but you know people saw the speed and knew that he could probably he would develop into a good winger, and I just think his tireless work rate. His technical quality, he's really one of the more underrated wingers in in the league. Um, and, and he's really put it all together. And today was a really good showcase for him. He was the best player on the field uh, for my money. And, and and there were a lot of good performances there. You had Will, Will, Will Trapp was really good. Terry Henry could not stop singing Will Trapp's raises after the match. Tony Chani was excellent. Uh, you know, I know Schoenfeld got the two goals, but... I mean, to be fair, uh, you know, the, one of them, it was he, he tried an awkward move and he got a lucky bounce that, that set the ball up for him to, for the finish. Uh, and, the, and then the second one was on a platter from, from Ethan Finley. Uh, I thought it was interesting, Mike Becky kind of pointing out that, you know, if the Columbus crew, all they need is a world-class, if they had a, a top-class forward, they'd be as good as anybody in the league. And I think that's true. I mean, Schoenfeld could have had five goals today. And, and it's really going to be up to him to step his game up because, you know, he if they if you want to talk about weak links on that team, he is the weak link. Um, I know some people might think Tyson Wall, but I think Tyson Wall has actually come along uh, really well since the sale of Giancarlo Gonzalez. I think he's really stepped up, stepped his game up and quietly uh, become a solid force for them. Um, but Schoenfeld's got to keep, keep, you know, putting those chances home. If he can do that, I think Columbus Crew, man, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't say they'd be favored against a D.C. or New England but they, they, they'd have as good a chance as anybody. Well, I think definitely think before we move on to New York, I mean, Ethan Finley, you could definitely make a case for him, most improved player. Also, Greg Berhalter, possibly a little too late, Ivis, but, I mean, he has to get maybe some votes or some consideration for, for Coach of the Year. No, no doubt about it. And uh, right now, I put him at a solid third. I think he's so the third I. pick at, after, uh, you know, Oscar Pereja and Ben Olsen. I still say I think Ben Olsen's going to win it. I still think 
Oscar Pereja should win it. I think Oscar Pereja would get my vote. I know some people think that's crazy, and as we've discussed over and over, uh, DC United's turnaround has been amazing. There's no doubt about it. But the, the turnaround began even before the season began with the additions that they made to that team. When you want to talk about Eddie Johnson, Fabiana Spindola, Bobby Boswell, Sean Franklin, Davey Arnault. I mean, you, the list goes on and on. Um, that that strong group, half dozen top established MLS veterans, helped right off the bat, even before a ball was kicked in the MLS play, had already helped make them uh, a legitimate team. I had DC in the playoffs when the season before the season began. So it, from that standpoint, it wasn't shocking. But still, credit to Ben Olsen. He's done a great job. Pereja, what's different for me about Pereja and, and Kinnear, Kinnear, sorry, uh, got Dom <laughs> Kinnear on the brain, Dom Kinnear, and Burhalter uh, is that they, they've taken guys who were already there uh, on the teams that, they're, that they've taken over and helped them find new levels. When you want to talk about Perea, what he's done with Fabian Castillo, helping him reach new level, uh, and, and so many other players on, on, on FC Dallas. And we just want to talk about Columbus. Just look at the number of players whose games have just grown exponentially under Berhalter. Uh, Tony Chani, Ethan Finley, Justin Merrill, mm-hmm. Tyson, Tyson Wall. Uh, so many guys that, you know, were okay or you know, okay or non-factors, and now they're absolutely – uh, quality, uh, important starters for the crew. So for that standpoint, Greg Berhalter, tip of the cap to him. He's done really well. And I will point out that when he was hired, I criticized the hire. I wasn't sold on him, uh, you know, being being a success. You know, and and that's what I get for for going against the Jersey guy. I should have known better, but I, I'll stand here and say I was wrong. He proved me wrong. I told him today. Actually, I talked to him after the game. We had a nice chat, and I told him, "Hey, man, you proved me wrong." Because we had we we had a good, a good talk about it. Uh, in the off season, after I wrote my piece, and I was like, you know, we, we go way back, and I told him, I said, look, man, that's just, you know what, I, that's how I feel about it. But you know what, if you prove me wrong, I'll be the first to say it. And he's done it. He's done an absolutely outstanding job in his first year, sticking to a system, and and getting the players to buy into it. And I talked to so many crew players today, and they all said the same thing: is that 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 uh, it's so important to have a system in place uh, that players can fit into and can buy into. Tony Chani, man, I mean, here's a guy who was a stud. Coming out of University of Virginia, uh, but ju- you know, had bounced around a few different teams, and and teams just no one had been able to find that player that was so impressive in college. And now Greg Burkhalter Berkhal- with this system has brought the best out of him. And now China has been playing out of his mind, uh, and so many other examples like that. So I tell you what, man, I'm all aboard. I'm on the crew bandwagon. They're going to be a handful, and if there's going to be that team that's like RSL uh, when RSL won MLS Cup and, and kind of came out of nowhere. The Columbus Crew could absolutely be that team. Uh, well, Crew in the playoffs for the first time since 2011. Moving over to the New York Red Bulls, Ivis. Yes, they have clinched the playoff spot. Uh, but news came out this week that Sporting Director Andy Roxburgh is uh, leaving the club. He's been there since 2012. What does this mean for New York? Well, it's interesting. And look, hat tip to our guy Franco Panizzo broke that story. Um, it, it still hasn't been officially announced. It should be pointed out. Um, but you know, we, we've got it, uh, pretty, pretty solid that he's gone. Uh, I'm already starting to hear rumblings about people who could replace him. Not going to name any names yet, but, uh, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see what they do with replacing him. And you know what, what, what does it mean? I mean, it, it's just at a certain point you, you move on and, you know, he did a good job, uh, kind of helping them build this, the, the, the supportive shield roster, the winning roster. Um, but you know, at a certain point, uh, you have to ask, you know, what Gerard Houllier, who's above him, who's going to head of Red Bull, 
uh, global, you know, they might be looking at what might be an overhaul. They might need an overhaul. They want to bring new people in, uh, go in a different direction. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of, of consideration about if Tim Cahill leaves, if Terry Henry leaves, is it going to be a new approach uh, with the Red Bulls? Are they going to try to, to to maybe get away from the big name, big money designated player and try to go the other route and try to find the younger uh, designated player types who can who can develop into stars. You know, uh, you know when you talk about someone like Eric Kubo Torres as, as a as a young player coming in, uh, an international player and just blossoming into a star. Um, so we'll see if that happens, and I think that's going to be the approach for them. They're going to go find someone uh, or one or two people to to kind of help build the team in a different in a different approach. Uh, where in the past the, the anchors were were guys like Henri and Cahill. I think now in the future they're going to try to spread the wealth a bit more, have a bit more of a balanced roster, and uh, it's going to be up to whoever replaces Roxburgh to show that they can go find that kind of talent. Those, those players who, you know, when you want guys like Javier Morales, who you know, or David Ferreira before at FC Dallas, uh, guys who are, are, are quote unquote bargains on the international market, but who can come to MLS and be significant impact players, and, and I think. The Red Bulls, you know, they really haven't had that many of those type players before because they've they've spent all their money on their big name players, and then they and what they've had left to spend hasn't really allowed them to go to a lot of these markets to go find uh, these kind of diamonds in the rough, so to speak. A guy like a Diego Valeri, a perfect example of a young, you know, not not so super young, but a guy who can come here and be a star player, and you can kind of make him your DP. So so we'll see, man. It's going to be a very interesting offseason. Uh, with the Red Bulls. Well, moving over to the uh, Western Conference, we also like Portland Timbers. I guess both of these teams went into the match in desperate need of three points for various different reasons. We also like is it in the playoffs, but they're trying to push hold back FC Dallas, who has you know, surpassed them now in the Western Conference in terms of standings. And for Portland, I guess they're looking to make the playoffs. Ended up being a scoreless draw in Portland. Nick Romando had quite a game, six saves for him. Uh, but starting off with Portland, Ivis, uh, I mean, look, they survived because Vancouver uh, the next day only picked up a point in their scoreless draw against San Jose Earthquakes. But, I mean, let's face it, Ivis, I mean, time is running out in the Portland Timbers, and this is a team that, you know, you look at the talent, you look at the quality they have. I mean, they should be in the playoffs this year. Uh, should is a, is a strong word. Right, I agree. With that roster, you sh- you should get to the playoffs. Should they be there? No, they haven't done enough to be there. And let's face it, even though Vancouver didn't get the job done beating San Jose, I, it's oh, in my opinion, I'm just going to call it now. It's oh, because Vancouver, like Vancouver, they're playing the Colorado Rapids. Colorado, Colorado Rapids are a dead team walking. They they are they are an absolute train wreck. To expect Colorado to go to Vancouver and get a win, I, I, it's crazy. I, I think if you're Vancouver, if you want in, if you if you can't beat them, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. And I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, their coach said that, uh, Carl Robinson. I think he said that actually after the last match. And, and it's absolutely true. And you know what? The Portland Timbers, when they look back on this season, they'll definitely be able to look back on so many matches where they absolutely should have gotten all three points, but they weren't able to. They weren't able to finish their chances. And look, I know Nick Romano played out of his mind again, had another one of those Nick Romano type uh, stand on your head performances, but at the end of the day, Portland still has they have themselves to blame. I mean, when you can you think of, uh, of many so many matches, like uh, I can think of the four four game against the Sounders when they absolutely just that they were just so good, but then their defense was just awful. And at the end of the day, their defense 
is will be the reason they didn't make the playoffs, right? And I know that that eight, the awful start to the season put them in a serious hole. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. But then even after that, even when you thought okay they straightened things out, their defense never could find consistency, and and, I, and I'm sure that's going to be the, the the first first thing they look at uh, when, when they when they try try to revamp this team. Uh, figure out what is up with that defense. And then look at a guy like Donaldson Nagby, you know, he's still a great player, very active, creates chances, but the guy needs to put the ball in the net. And it's just this year for him has been a nightmare on that front. So, you know what, when they look back on the season, they're going to look at their defensive issues and Donaldson Nagby's goal scoring issues as kind of the two keys key reasons why they're not in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. The slow start, I mean, you're talking about games that the defense gave away. Think about the most recent one to Toronto FC, where Portland went up 2-0. Toronto then came back and won that game uh, 3-2. to uh, Biggest question, though, for Portland moving forward, Ivis, is before their game against FC Dallas, which you knew this was going to be a tough stretch for them, they still have a CONCACAF Champions League game, and it's going to be on the road in Honduras. I mean, and Portland needs to um, possibly win this game. To They haven't qualified for the next round of the CONCACAF Champions League. I mean, right now, Ivis, I mean, the importance has to be on making the Major League Soccer playoffs, but, I mean, it, it, how much of a distraction is this CONCACAF Champions League game going to be for them this week? Well, I think they've been handling CONCACAF the same way throughout, and I don't think that's going to change. I think they're going to go go with uh, a second unit in that game. And I know, uh, I know that might sound a little crazy, especially when you're talking about a team in, in a Honduran team in CD Olympia, which is by no means a, a, a cupcake or a pushover. Um, but I think they, the thing about Portland is they actually have the depth to put out a second team that can be pretty respectable and pretty, and a pretty strong team. They can put out as good a second team as, as a lot of the other teams in the league that are among the, among at the very top when you want to talk about Seattle or LA, the depth is there. So that for me, I don't think that's much of an issue. The issue for them, I think, is going to be, can they actually get the win uh, going to FC Dallas and getting a win? That's 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 tough. That's not going to be easy either. So they need so much to go right. They need to go beat FC, FC Dallas, which is not going to be easy. And they need Colorado to kind of rise from the ashes and, and, and put a game together in Vancouver, which obviously, look, it's not an easy place to play. Just want to point this out. The last win, Colorado. Colorado's last win, July 25th against Chivas USA. Uh, and, you know, if, if there's a bright spot, if, they, if there's kind of a, a sign of hope, their last win before, their last win, their last non-Chivas USA win was against Vancouver. However, it was in Colorado. So, yeah, you know, that, that, I, that, I, that, I, that, it's tough. I don't see them doing it. I just don't. I think Vancouver is going to have a, a party. They're going to score five goals. They're going to blow it open. It's going to be celebration time in Vancouver. I just, you know what, as much as I've been saying from day, even when, when Portland started out winless in their first eight, I thought, you know what, they're going to find a way. They're going to find a way. But they kept giving away points too many times later in the season. And Vancouver, credit to Vancouver, man. I, I thought when Portland when Portland beat Vancouver twice, 3-0 whippings, I thought, okay, that's it. Vancouver is not getting up off the mat after that. I think their their confidence is going to be shot, uh, and, and they're going to be done. But guess what? They rattled off three wins in a row against our Real Salt Lake, FC Dallas, and Seattle. Look at that. Look at that murderer's row of teams, and they beat all three of them. So you know what? Vancouver deserves to be in the playoffs, and Portland doesn't. 
if, if things shake out as we expect. And, and then they go and uh, play San Jose to score the straw. Uh, go ahead. Let's not, yeah, let's not talk about that one. <laughs> uh, real quickly, though, Real so like, what's going on with that, Bivis? Uh, you know, they, they lose to Vancouver, as you just said earlier. Then, you know, two weeks ago, they lost to Chivas USA. Yes, they did bounce back and beat San Jose Earthquakes. But all of a sudden, I mean, a few weeks ago, we were talking that, hey, RSL could find a way to sneak in and possibly get that first spot in the Western Conference. But now, I mean, we're, we're talking about them possibly finishing fourth in the Western Conference. But what's going on? I don't know, man. I mean, when you look at some of these games, I mean, yes, they had, so they had the loss to Vancouver uh, up there, and I think they sat a, they sat a handful of guys, uh, and then they had that shocking loss to Chivas, right? Uh, they, they, bat, they they come back, they beat San Jose, uh, and then they have a you know they have a zero zero tie against against uh, Portland in Portland. So I, I don't know if I'm gonna raise any any alarm, ring any alarm bells yet for us. I still think they could be a handful in the playoffs, but. For me, they, I think that you know what when it's in the West, it's LA and Seattle and everybody else. And yes, a month ago, I thought RSL could close that gap. I thought RSL, you put them up against the Seattle or LA, they have a chance. I I find it a little tougher to see that now. I think that's uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And look, Jeff Kassar, I think he's done a pretty respectable job this year with that group, but uh, they're just not looking really good. They're not playing their best right now, and um, the playoffs are a different time. Uh, of the season, and I'm sure Kassar will point that out to his guys, that look, as, as much as you guys aren't, you know, they have one win in four games, I'm sure he'll look at that and then bring up 2000 and 2009 when, you know, they got in as the last seed, they didn't necessarily have a good finish to the regular season, and they still won the whole thing, so they have a puncher's chance because they still have quality, top to bottom, but I, I don't look at them anymore as that as being in that kind of, you know, where I talked about in the early in the first half of the season when I had the four teams in the upper tier, and they were one of those teams. Now I don't. I haven't. Now I look at them, and they're they're firmly in the second tier, and maybe not even in the second tier because the second tier, I think, uh, first tier Seattle, LA, second tier, you have DC, New England, and I'm I like Columbus, man. I, I'm I'm all in on the bandwagon on Columbus, um, and then FC Dallas, man. FC Dallas with Oscar Pereja, you know, pulling the strings there. RSL now, you know. I, I just don't like their chances, and I, it's crazy because two months ago, I, I would have put a little money on them as that dark horse MLS Cup mm-hmm. winner. Great. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not so much. Now, now I'm not sold on them. Well, moving over to the uh, Eastern Conference, DC United. I guess it's official. They have now gone from worst to first. DC clinched the Eastern Conference title, defeating Chicago Fire two to one. And uh, I mean, look, coming out of the East, Ivis. I mean, how good is DC going to be in the playoffs? Are they the favorite in the Eastern Conference right now? They are, they are. But again, look, the top for me, the the top three in the East. Well, the, you have the top two. You have them in New England. New England's playing uh, great. New England's playing as well, if not better than DC right now. Uh, the, the the loss of Luis Silva, and we should point this out: Luis Silva out four to six weeks with a hamstring injury. That's that 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 hurts them. That hurts them. And I know, look, Eddie Johnson. Now you can plug him in. Now that he's had a taste of the bench, maybe he'll be motivated. And that's a big if, right? Um, but I think D.C. and New England and Columbus, for me, all three of those teams are playing really well. And I think you put those three in a hat, you shake it up, any one of them could come out of that out of that threesome. D.C. United, top to bottom, good team. Good team, no doubt they've been good all year. They've shown their quality. I'm not trying to take that away from them. But I just think New England, New England and Columbus have really, really turned it on in the last few months. And I think they've closed the gap. I really think they've closed the gap. 
on DC. And I think those three teams, any one of those three teams could come out of that group. I know I'm forgetting about Sporting KC, the defending champions, but I just feel like they have a lot of issues. I just feel like their midfield is a bit of a mess. I feel like they've never replaced Yuri Rosell, and now like Jorge Claros, who I thought would help replace him, hasn't done the job. Lawrence Olam has been a bit of a nightmare for them, really. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and and Peter Ruiz just doesn't have a lot of options. He's had, he almost has to play Olam, and Olam's just really uh, such a downgrade for them, I think. Uh, so I've kind of forgot. You know what, K- KC man, it's uh, it's crazy to think where three months ago I would have said, oh, they're the favorites in the East. It's them, and then a notch down to D.C., but now, man, it's a three-horse race, and I don't have them as being one of the three horses. Well, one player that uh, D.C.'s not going to have going to the playoffs is Luis Silva Ivis, who looks like he's out four to six weeks. What does this mean for D.C. with having him out? Well, I'll tell you what, man. I think that's a huge blow for them because I think he he and Fabiana Spindola have been playing very well together, and I know, look, Eddie Johnson – it's just, he's such an enigma, right? You don't know what he's going to give you. You don't know how he's going to fit in with everyone else. Um, but I just think Silva is a big, big loss for them. And I know getting having Chris Pontius back has helped them. Uh, getting Chris Rolf back, I don't, I'm not off the top of my head. I don't know what the timetable is on him, but having him would obviously help help soften the blow there. But uh, anyone who thinks, oh, we would just plug Eddie Johnson and we won't miss a beat, I disagree, man. I think oh. Silva. The things that he provided, the things that he gives you, uh, connecting the uh, connecting the play in the midfield and, and his understanding with the Spindola, I just don't think Eddie Johnson and Fabian Spindola have have that same understanding. So I think they lose a bit there. I, def- I definitely think they lose a bit there. So we'll see how that plays out in the playoffs. Well, Eddie Johnson, Ivis, does have two goals in his last two matches played. Look, I just got this hunch that he's going to deliver, and everything that was said about him is just going to go away once the playoffs start. I, I have this feeling. Well, look, yeah, he had a good game against the Fire, but guess what? The Fire are not in the playoffs. He had a get, and you know, he got a goal against the Dynamo, but guess what? The Dynamo are not in the playoffs. So, uh, before anyone goes looking at that and 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 saying, oh, you know, he he's shown his quality, he's back, he's ready to kill it. You know what? It, it, the playoffs are a different animal, man. And and I and I when I look at that, when you want to talk about Eddie Johnson, uh, I, I'd be interested to see what his what his track record is in the playoffs in his career. And if he's really a guy that you can expect to definitely step his game up. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not going to say he definitely won't get it done, but no, you, I don't, it, nobody can sit here and say Eddie Johnson is like a can't miss guy when, when, when it's all on the line, when you want to talk about MLS playoffs. So we'll see. We'll see what he does. Uh, heading over, I'm sorry, keeping it in the Eastern Conference. My apologies. Uh, when you talk about team, like we're also like kind of, you don't want to say the limping into the playoffs, but they're 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 progressing into the playoffs very slowly. The other team that was in the final that actually won it, Sporting Kansas City, Ivis. This is another team that is also limping into the playoffs. They go out and they lose the Philadelphia Union two to one. I mean, and and what's up with Kansas City? Yes, they have the talent, they have the quality, but Ivis, they just don't look like they're playing with confidence right now. And their last month and a half of soccer has not been their best. No, no. I mean, they're. It's uh, it's just interesting, and, and in a way, it's not completely surprising because here's why: their depth took a real hit earlier in the year. When you want to talk about guys like Chance Myers, Michael Parra, you lose those guys. Yuri Rosell, you sell him, uh, and you don't really replace him. So that's three big, big chunks of your of your depth of your minutes of your key minutes, mm. uh, and then obviously Jimmy Nielsen retiring. That was always going to be a blow for them because his leadership, uh, his quality in the back, his organizational skills in the back, that was always going to be a big loss. So 
You take that, you take their depth, the big chunk of their depth away, and you have them competing in CONCACAF Champions League. So they've already, you know, take those things, throw in a little bit of Matt Beasler being tired and being, in, you know, not beat up and not playing at his highest level. You take all that, you put it all together, and then you throw in extra games with the Champions League, and and you have and you don't have that bench that you could lean on, and you're gonna wear just wear yourself off, wear yourself off even more. And I think that was the key to them last year was the way Peter Vermees balanced minutes. And you know when you saw him give Ike Opara a lot of minutes and, and and keep the minutes down on guys like Aurelian Collin and Matt Beasler. Uh, it, everything went well for them last year in that regard, where they, they they were healthy, they were able to kind of rest guys here and there, keep them fresh. Then the playoffs came, and they were ready to make that run. This year, it's so not the case. It's so the, it's like the opposite. If anything, now they're tired, they're beat up, they're not confident. They have to go play in Costa Rica. They have to go to San Jose. Play the, they, uh, they have to go play Saprissa. Uh, you know, not that I I'd love to be going to San Jose because I love Costa Rica. But they have to go there, get a result there. Uh, I think actually, I think with a tie, they're good, and even with a, like a close loss, I think they advance. But still, they have to go there, uh, get a result, and, and then they have to come back and 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 beat the Red Bulls at home. Uh, Red Bulls are going to be you know coming at them, and so it, it's not it's not easy, man. And KC, uh, think about it. Let's just say they 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 end up in a four five. They survived the 4-5, and then all of a sudden you get D.C. United against Sporting KC. D.C. United has owned Sporting Kansas City. Yep. They, the, KC in three games has not scored a goal against them. Uh, who, so, you know what? D.C. is going to finish them off. So, that you know what? It's it's just it's one of those things where it just shows, you know, one year everything can go well, and one and then the next year so many things can go against you. And, and I think with KC, that's just – it's just what it is. It's just what it is. They, they lost too much of their depth. And and they just haven't been able to re- recover from that. Uh, FC Dallas defeated Col- Colorado Rapids one is your Blas Perez with a lone goal in this match, and uh, I have a huge victory for FC Dallas as we mentioned. Uh, they now surpassed Real Salt Lake for that third spot in the Western Conference. And uh, look, FC Dallas is rolling right now, man. And uh, you know they got a big match this weekend against the Portland Timbers. Hopefully, they'll, if you're a Dallas fan, you want to come with the victory in that one. But uh, things looking pretty well for FC Dallas right now. Yeah, no, they're 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 looking good. I mean, that's again not not to, to take away the the joy the joy, but it's LA and Seattle. I just I'm sorry, I don't see anybody beating them before they play each other. Uh, but Dallas, it's a credit to Dallas if they can hold on to the three seed and finish ahead of RSL, and and I think that would be just as impressive an effort uh, on Oscar Parejo's part. Uh, than any other coaching job in the league because FC Dallas did not, not have wholesale changes. I mean, even like we talked about earlier with the with the gold coach of the year candidates, even Greg Berhalter, as much as, yes, he, he helped a lot of the uh, guys who were already there find new levels, they still also added some really good pieces. They added uh, Steve Clark in goal. They added uh, Michael Parkhurst. They, you know, they added Giancarlo Gonzalez before he before he was sold. So they added, uh, added some really impressive pieces to that team. Uh, Oscar Pereira, you look at FC Dallas and and, and how many uh, real impact pieces, newcomer impact pieces did they add? they not many. So he took this team, pretty much the same, almost the same team that did make playoffs the last couple of years for FC Dallas, didn't even come close. And, and and could have them as the third seed. I mean, that, look, hats off to Osprey. Excellent job. Uh, you know, 
that being said, I just I, I don't see them doing much beyond that because if they even if they're let's just say let's say you're the three, you're gonna get LA or Seattle in, in a home and home. Uh, uh, I, I don't see them winning. I don't see them winning in the playoffs. I know they beat. I think they beat Dallas, LA. Recently, Dallas right? just did. Dallas just beat LA two weeks ago. Right, right, right. And I, and and they beat the Seattle Sounders a month ago. Yeah, that's fine. They won't do it in the playoffs. And I'll put money up. They're not going to do it in the playoffs. They're just not. And actually, I think Seattle beat Dallas the first two times they played. So I think Seattle still got the edge on them for the season series. Um, but, I, you know, I that, just that was it, That I was think, four months ago. Those 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 matches so, don't mean it, anything. Come on. Listen, I'll, anyone, anyone want to bet me, let me know. We'll set it up. Dallas they had a great year. Hats off to Prairie how his first year there. It would be outstanding if he could get them to third in the West, get them into the semifinals. Job done. You've done an excellent job. And now you go into the next step, going into an offseason where you can revamp your roster, make some changes, make some upgrades, and then continue the process. But beyond that, though, I just honestly, I just don't see them doing anything in the, in the semis. I don't see them beating LA or Seattle. Uh, well, you were right. Uh, before FC Dallas defeated Seattle and LA uh, the last couple weeks, FC Dallas did suffer two losses to the LA Galaxy and two losses to the Seattle Sounders. Uh, San Jose and Vancouver Whitecaps played to a scoreless draw. I have a victory here for Vancouver, and they're all but into the playoffs. I mean, we talked about this. I mean, a very tough schedule for them, but they were able to somehow go out and defeat Real Salt Lake, FC Dallas, and the Seattle Sounders. You're starting to think, man, Vancouver could be a dangerous team. Then they play San Jose to a scoreless draw. I mean, how serious can we take them as a playoff threat to other teams? Well, they're not. Well, they're <laughs> they're only a threat to Portland to take the fifth spot. I mean, beyond that, I don't think anyone could realistically expect them to to beat an LA or Seattle in the playoffs in the semifinals. But uh, I, I watched this game, and oh my lord, this was an ugly game. Um, and if if there was anything redeeming about uh, about this game, is the fact that it's the last game at Buckshaw. Good riddance. I mean, it was you know it had atmosphere. Uh, you know the fans who went there loved it and all that, but let's let's get on to the new building because that that place was a dump, and I think it was the last of the the true dumps in MLS. And now they're out of there. You move on now. You get your nice new building. Uh, so better times ahead for Seattle and I mean for San Jose. And we have to talk about San Jose announcing that they've officially hired Don Kinnear for the 2015 season. Uh, this has been in the works for a long time. It's always been kind of inevitable. For those who aren't familiar with the history, Don Kinnear, is, he's a longtime San Jose native. He was an assistant coach there uh, with, with San Jose and, and head coach when they moved over and they moved to the team to Houston. So now it's just him going back home. Uh, and I think, you know what, that's a big, it's a big upgrade. It's a big, uh, you know, he's, he's still one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, th- this rough year does not take away from that. Uh, and I think you know what I think he could do a good job turning them around. And uh, you know him and John Doyle obviously have a really good friendship. And now hopefully you know John Doyle can kind of ha- hand over some more of the the personnel decisions to to Kinnear, and Kinnear will have his chance to really uh, try to build a winner in San Jose again. Well, Kinnear leaving for San Jose is good for one team specifically, San Jose Earthquakes. He's now leaving Houston Dynamo this past weekend. Obviously, they lost to New England Revolution. Lee Win potential MVP Lee Wynn had a brace in, in this match. Uh, but real quickly, I mean, Dominic Kinnear, what does it mean uh, for him leaving the Houston Dynamo at the end of the season? Well, I think it was kind of inevitable that, that he was going to leave. I thought, actually, there was a lot of talk last year of him leaving. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, that didn't quite work out. I think they wanted to, I think San Jose wanted to give Mark Watson a chance. 
to show what he can do. I thought he, you know, uh, was it 2012 when I think he, toward the end of 2012 when he showed well. No, the end of 2013 when, when he showed well. I, I, I can't keep track at this point. Uh, it's 3 a.m. I'm starting to lose my mind. But anyway, um, for Houston, though, they, they, it was, they've kind of seen this coming for some time now. The real question there is who takes over? Who takes his place? Uh, is Steve Ralston going to step in? Are they going to go to John Spencer, uh, who used to be uh, Dom Kinnear's longtime assistant before he, he went to Portland? Didn't work out so well for him in Portland. And I think he's been in Houston all this time now, so he's still kind of in that conversation. Uh, I don't think that would necessarily be a bad move. I know some people will look at just think of his time in Portland and think, oh, he can't be a good head coach. Sometimes coaches don't work out in certain situations, and then they go other places and do better. So... I wouldn't rule that out either, but I, I'm interested to see what, what goes on there because I think that's a good job. And, you know, you're talking about a team. They have their own stadium. They have a pretty good fan base, good following. I don't know what's going on with their ownership situation. That's something that kind of uh, bears a little watching. Uh, AEG uh, has has had that kind of stake in them for some time now, and, and they still haven't sold, uh, sold their half, I don't think, at this point. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, I'm curious to see who they hire. Uh, there's a lot of good coaches out there who, who don't have jobs right now. So we'll see what Chris Kennedy uh, decides. But I think I, I don't think he's going to be short on uh, short on candidates. Uh, for New England at this point, looks like they should finish second in the Eastern Conference. I wish we win. People talking MVP. How much of a possibility do you think that is? I don't think he'll win it um, just because I don't think enough voters are going to look at uh, Let's face it. A lot of people who vote don't really pay attention. And, uh, and a lot of people who vote just look at, at raw numbers and they'll see something like Bradley Wright Phillips in 20 and his 25 goals or, uh, you know, Robbie Keane stats. For me, I would just break it down like this. Best player in the league this year has been Robbie Keane. But most valuable player, and that's where the, the, the phrase most valuable player kind of gives you a bit of a gray area. And, that, and then you, you kind of have to factor other things in place. Most valuable player for me, Lee Wynn, has been the most valuable player in the league to his team. Um, you take Robbie Keane off LA. I think LA is still a playoff team. Lee Wynn has carried New England. They, he's carried their attack, even with Jermaine Jones getting there. Lee Wynn is still the guy putting the goals in the net. Uh, leaves the league in game-winning goals. Uh, he's been so key for them, uh, far and away the leading goal scorer among midfielders. I think he deserves more consideration than he's going to get for MVP. I just don't think he's going to win it. But for my money right now, it, it, for me, it's a toss-up. Like, in my mind, like, going into this weekend, it was, it was you know, Robbie Keane's probably going to win. And he's been uh, he's been outstanding, too. Robbie Keane's having a, a, a year. I don't think people realize the kind of year that Robbie Keane's had. Uh, you know, I think he's only only Chris Wondolowski's 27-goal, 7-assist season saw a player uh, factor in the more goals than Robbie Keane's factored into this year. So that kind of just gives you some perspective on the kind of season Rob Keane's had. He's been unbelievable all year. But the so is Lee Wynn, though. Lee Wynn, and Lee Wynn's done it on a on a, a team that their attack hasn't isn't quite the same as LA's. You're talking about Diego Fagundes taking a step back this year. Kellen Rowe has had some injury issues through the year. Um, so Lee Wynn has really had to carry them himself. And I think for that reason, for me right now, Lee Wynn, Lee Wynn right now this week has my vote. But if Robbie Keane goes up to Seattle and tears tears some uh, tears it up, uh, then I think he will lock up MVP. And the final match of the weekend, Toronto FC Montreal Impact played to a one-one draw. Ivis very fitting for both these clubs. Oh my lord! Uh, it, it, no one should be surprised, right? No one should be surprised that that you know TFC would go out with a whimper. 
Um, they just need to get onto the offseason now and start that rebuilding process. And and with Montreal, look, Montreal, I think they've had a respectable end to a season that has, it obviously has been disappointing, one of the worst records in the league. But when you look at the last couple of months, when you factor in Champions League as well, I think I think there's reason reasons for optimism in Montreal. Frank, I think Frank uh, Frank Lopez has done enough in the last months to to merit uh, a chance going into the offseason to build the team in his liking, his image. Um, you know, he didn't obviously Montreal didn't do much last offseason, and 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 we said it in our preview before the season that that was going to end up costing them. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it, basically, in on the eastern side of Canada, there's going to be a lot of rebuilding going on. Well, moving away from Major League Soccer, I will be talking about it a little more this week as we head into the final weekend of Major League Soccer. We'll also probably do a playoff preview show. Moving away from that and ending Major League Soccer, time to move on to Jurgen Klinsmann and Don Garber and the back and forth that went on this week. It started last week to catch you up to speed if you don't know what we're going to be talking about here. Is Jurgen Klinsmann expressed some disappointment, displeasure, that you know, he wanted to let Michael Bradley know that that you know, he, he as he said, he has to prove that he hasn't lost a bit. And referring to Michael Bradley coming over to Major League Soccer, uh, Don Garber then took a little bit of offense to that, thinking that what Jurgen said was detrimental to the league and, and not making Major League Soccer into a, a right light. Then Jurgen went back and said, "Oh well, you know, he misread my comments." I was lots of back and forth on this, lots of comments between the two guys. Uh, I mean, what, what do you make of all of this? I mean, you, there's there's right and wrong on both sides of the argument here. I, I disagree. I don't think there's right or wrong on both sides. I think Jordan Klinsman was right. Don Garber was absolutely wrong in every possible way in his reaction. I thought Don Garber's reaction was comical and absurd and just totally ridiculous. Here's here's what here's what it comes down to. Jordan Klinsman has concerns about his two best players. His two, our question, you know, arguably the two best field players in the U.S. national team setup, coming back to MLS from high-level leagues, and he has concerns and questions about whether they'll be able to maintain their level, the level that they had reached, putting in years in Europe, and that's a totally understandable concern. And I think anyone reasonable about it, anyone not overly defensive about MLS. Uh, would see it for what that statement was, which is totally, totally reasonable. Nowhere did Klinsman say MLS can't develop players. Nowhere did Klinsman say uh, MLS has no good players. He never said anything, any kind of extremes like that. He was talking specifically about his best guys, the two, his two best players, and there's, and he never made a secret of the fact that when they came back, he wasn't, he was against it. It was against either one of them coming back. Because and that's totally fair. It's totally fair. And I mean, and, and this is what I'll point out to some people, to everybody. Let's look at the teams in the World Cup, the teams that reached the quarterfinals, right? Uh, except for Germany, which is only the only actually, funny enough, the only country that of the among the like top four leagues in the world represented in the quarterfinals. But the other seven teams, their players play outside of their domestic league, and all except Costa Rica and even Costa Rica, their best players play in the top leagues in Europe. They're players, and it's just what it is. If you want to be a top team in, in the world internationally, your best players should be playing in the best leagues in the world. So that is not by no means, is that an unreasonable uh, you know, request or, or hope for Klinsman? So he fought that, right? He fought. He, he, he went to Clint Dempsey and told him, don't come back. Go stay, find another job. Stay in a top league. 
he told him that. Michael Bradley, same thing. He he let it be known he was against these moves. The moves happened anyway. Now, it's not as if Klinsman's going around and unsolicited and taking unsolicited shots at people or 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 letting these opinions be known. He was asked this. He was asked this flat out. And he's like, what, well, what am I supposed to do? I already said, like, there's nothing I can say or do. I just have to accept it. And then he laid it out like he has these concerns. And it's totally fair. I mean, how does anyone argue that? How does anyone argue that? Look, if you're if you're playing in, a, in the top, Clint Dempsey is an example. And I know people will say, oh, at Tottenham, he wasn't getting minutes, blah, blah, blah. Yes, but he played five years of where he was getting minutes. He was playing in, in the Premier League, scoring goals playing at an extremely high level in one of the top leagues in the world to think that he can't possibly lose something by going down, like down several steps to MLS. Mm -hmm. Like if you can't, if you can't fathom that, then you're just not thinking rationally. It's just natural. MLS is, is a growing league an improving league, but even with the improvements, it is several notches below the top leagues in Europe. That's just, Fact and reality. People need to just accept it and stop trying to hide behind all this other crap and, and live in denial. That's just the reality. And that's all Klinsman was making the point about was his very best players. Nowhere did he say, I don't want any any I don't want any Americans in MLS. Like that's ridiculous. No one's saying that. Obviously, guys that have, have benefited from MLS and have have honed their games in MLS, that's happened and it continues to happen and it will continue to happen. But when you're talking about two the two very best field players in the team uh, coming, you know, leaving top leagues in, in Europe. How like how can how can people like actually have an issue with him uh, raising a concern about that? That's just dumb. I'm sorry. Now, Don Garber obviously responded to this because he, you know, he had he, league owners. Yeah, I feel like he owners. has to respond to this. Right. He was no yeah. fine. He didn't have to, but. He was forced into it, or he felt he was forced into it. League owners obviously made a stink about it. Uh, and I, I, on some level, I get where Garber was coming from. I just didn't think the way he worded it was good. Was good. I, I just think, I mean, this, it, I, all this stuff about embracing the vision, like, what, what, what is this? I mean, is this a cult? Like, Obviously, MLS and Don, Gar Don Garber is about business. He's about MLS, the business. G give me all this other crap about growing the game in this country and let's all hold hands and help American soccer. No. Don Garber's number one task is making MLS as a business succeed, right? That's his number one priority. He can say all he wants, tap dancing and singing dance about, the, about American soccer and the national team. What matters to him is making sure that his owners are happy and making sure the league is growing as a business. And that's and and, and that's not Klinsman's problem. Klinsman's problem. Klinsman's key job is to make the national team better, to make the short term and long term. And 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 that's all he's done. That's all he's in, in making the statements whether it's about this or about promotion relegation and how he he, he wishes it, it were in place because he thinks it would help. It would help the the the, the level of competition would grow a, a, a across the board because there would be that fight to to go up and down. Um, I don't know, man. I I just thought Don Garber lost the plot. I thought the message that he delivered was just a bad one. This whole idea of 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 everyone has to say uh, everyone has to agree with us. 
because we've done so much and, and, and we've grown this league and everyone has to buy into it. Like, that's crap. I'm sorry. That's crap. All right? Not everything that uh, MLS is – look, Garvin's done an amazing job. I'll say this first, and I wrote this in my, my goal.com column about this whole situation. Garber, what Garber's done as commissioner in helping the league grow and helping the league go from where there were questions about whether it would even go on. I mean, mm-hmm. when they contract, when they contracted Tampa Bay and Miami, uh, and they were down to 10 teams, and everyone was looking around and thinking, man, is this league going to make it? I mean, I can't remember sitting in the dispersal draft after the contraction uh, and thinking, and this is what, 2002, and I remember thinking to myself, man, Am I gonna am I gonna have to go cover another sport, maybe? Because this is I don't know if this is gonna happen. And that was that was the feeling around the sport. And credit to Don Garber, he helped get them through the tough times and helped help build the league into a really really strong league now in terms of growth and in terms of uh, interest and investment uh, and quality. The quality too, quality has grown. All credit mm-hmm. to 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 his role as commissioner and leader of the league. In that process. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that everyone has to like totally buy in to to everything that he wants to do and everything that he and his owners want to do. That that's just not reality. Jurgen Klinsmann has has a job to do, and Garber has a job to do. For Garber to sit here and say Klinsmann can't criticize players, that's crazy. Like really, like it, it, it just that that's a stare, that just that made me laugh. That made me laugh when he's like. You know, he, 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 you know, I don't know what he's thinking, criticizing Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey so publicly. And then he got in his soapbox about Landon Donovan's exclusion. And like, oh, that yeah, one, that was that, yeah. that was that was cringeworthy. That was really cringeworthy. And, I, and it's funny because I know I know there's a lot of fans out there that think like, well, I agree with that. So that, why, why is that wrong? It's fine if you're a fan. You're a U.S. National fan, you're a Landon Donovan fan, and you feel Donovan should have been there. That's all well and good. But for the commissioner of a professional league, of the professional league, to sit there and then start going on about that, like as if that and no, like that was just that was just sad. I'm sorry. That was just that was just not a good look on his part. Um, but you know what? The, all this this is all just talk, right? Because I know as much as Clint is Garber what surprised me was Garber, his kind of thinly veiled almost threats, like, well, you know. People are going to hear about this. Klinsman's going to have, you know, like like someone's going to like put a call in and Klinsman's going to be reprogrammed or something like that. No, Klinsman, Klinsman's not changing his tune. He's not changing his mind. He knows exactly what he said. If nothing else, Klinsman's very calculated with every single thing he says. And I can guarantee you when he said these things, he knew there would be a reaction. And he doesn't care because he still has his job to do. And what matters to him is not necessarily what matters to Don Garber and the owners in MLS. And nor should they. Nor should they. So I know some people want to want to get on Klinsman and say, oh, he should have more tact. He should he shouldn't rip players publicly. And 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 it, is it, why is it ripping players publicly to say you have concerns about them keeping their their same level when they drop down several levels in league? How is that? How is that ripping, quote unquote, ripping players, ripping the league? I think that is such a such a stretch. But you know what? It's it's just it's mind boggling. It really it's it's it's. I mean, as much as we make fun of you know kind of the Euro snobs, I mean, there's now part of the American soccer culture where you know there are going to be some people that are going to be homers for Major League Soccer, where they're only going to watch Major League Soccer, and there's nothing wrong with that because I mean, look at us. Primarily, we do talk Major League Soccer on this show, and I think there's just some people that. 
you know, are a little sensitive to what Jurgen Klinsmann's saying. You know, how dare he say that about Michael Bradley? How dare he say that about, about Clint Dempsey? But but look, the fact of the matter is this, and and I, I, I look, I I'm on Jurgen Klinsmann's side, and I and I think he's right. The fact of the matter is this: is Major League Soccer is just not producing players that are quality enough to be, you know, competing at the international level. Yes, we've done a good job to where we are, you know, in the 11 to 20 FIFA rank, and that's all fine and dandy. But I mean, when is this country going to take that step forward? And a lot of that falls on these major league soccer teams, and you and I talk about this all the time, investing money into the academies. You know, now you see some of the MLS teams doing USL pro teams. That will help out with the development of players. But major league soccer is still years away from from what has been established in Germany and France and Spain and Italy in terms of development. And I think, look, for as far as Jurgen's been coach of the U.S. national team, it's been great under his tenure. He's made a lot of changes, and things have been good. It probably hit close to home with Major League Soccer, but for people bashing on Jurgen Klinsmann, look, look where we were, you know, six years ago. I think it was when he got. I can't remember when he got hired, but look where we are now. I, I mean, it's been a huge step ever since Jurgen Klinsmann has taken over U.S. Soccer. What? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's he can make these comments because of his track record, because I know some people would easily raise the point that he he didn't get any further than Bob Riley got in the World Cup. So. No, 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 no. But I, but I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not. What I'm saying is he's not saying these comments because hey, look at me, I got out of the group stage. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying though is just Jurgen in general has done a very good job, and so and I've heard some people say, you know, how dare he do that? You know, they should fire him and blah blah blah. The national team is better off with him as head at, at, at charge. That's the point I'm trying to make. Right. I mean, I don't think it was arguing that. I think the, I think it's, it's the message like it, what you've done as your job should not necessarily, uh, determine what your message, whether your message, your next message is right or wrong. Just like Don Garber being a great commissioner and doing a good job of building the league doesn't necessarily make that press, uh, that, that conference call or the comments that he made in that conference call legitimate. They didn't make it legitimate. Uh, and, and it's not about Klinsman's track record that makes his message legitimate either. It's about the message itself. And just and, and when it comes to Klinsman and, and his concerns, just look at international soccer. Just look at the other teams, the the powers in the world. Um, what what top team or what team even near the top has players that are in playing in the domestic league uh, and among the top players? We're talking the top players again. No one's saying. Anybody in the national team pool should be outside of MLS. That is absurd, and nobody is suggesting that. Klinsman is not suggesting it. Nobody is suggesting it. But when it comes to the very, very, very best players, if you want to be a top country in this world, if you, in international soccer, you want your very best players in the very best leagues. And I know some people will say, "Oh, but you know, MLS needs needs its stars to grow." And all, you know what? I get, I get that to some degree. But when you're talking about the very best, the very best, I mean, okay, does the does the Brazilian league need uh, need Neymar to stay in a, in Brazil his entire career? No. Does Argentina need Messi to stay in in its league? No. Uh, and if anything, the very top guys. When you're talking about Dempsey and Bradley, let's just say they were they were in MLS, they start out, then they move on. Once they move on, it gives an opportunity for younger players to step up and grow. And at the end of the day, that's what it should be. It should be a, a revolving door, a conveyor belt of talent. And the stars that leave may pave way for the next generation of young stars to step in. And the it the fact and the fact of the matter is, MLS still isn't producing enough of its own quality talent. 
And if anything, maybe that's why there's this this push to try to try to hold on to these guys as long as possible. Because you know what? There just isn't that high level talent, young talent coming up the pipeline just yet. Yes, there's a couple here and there. Uh, it's getting better, but it's not there yet. But you know what? I'm sorry. Klinsman did not say anything wrong. And Garber, while I get why he said the things he said, the his the way he the way it all came off was very amateur hour, uh, and, and it almost seemed like he let his emotions get the better of him uh, in some of the things that he said. But you know what? It's this is all gonna blow over uh, three months from now. One's gonna remember. Uh, January's gonna come. Clemson's gonna call in a bunch of MLS players into the camp, and it's gonna be all right. We're all going to be singing Kumbaya. Uh, well, moving away from Jurgen Klinsmann and Don Garber, we did not have an opportunity to talk about the U.S. men's national team. 1-1 draw against Honduras, Ivis. A few things that we do want to talk about in this match. The first one, Jermaine Jones at center back. It did happen. And for the most part, I thought Jermaine Jones was the best defender. Uh, I, I'm sorry, not the best defender because I thought Greg Garza was much better. But I thought Jermaine Jones was the best center back of the night against Honduras. No, I thought Jones was the best defender on that night. If we want to talk about over the course of two games, Greg Garza was, you could argue, the best player or the second best player overall for the, the two friendlies. But for me, Jermaine Jones was excellent. I know people point to the goal, the equalizer, and say, oh, he missed his mark. I'm still not convinced that it was definitely his guy. I mean, though, it, just watching the replay a bunch of times, uh, uh, unless like, I haven't heard Klinsman or Jones or anybody say that was Jones's guy, um, so from that standpoint, and again, that's not about being a center back. That's, that's, you know, you get matchups in the free kick. You have to kind of mark whether it was zone, whether it was just grabbing whoever's around you. But in terms of the playing central defender in the course, over the course of the game, I thought he did really well. And, uh, I did find it funny that some people were kind of up and I was surprised by this actually, that some people were up in arms over the experiment because, uh, and it always comes down to you know, people's own people, people's own guys, right? And people, so yeah, you had all these fans of of of, of players, other young defenders who could maybe be getting that chance. So that was the question. It's like, why why would you put thirty three year old Jermaine Jones at center back when you could have Matt Hedges or Chris Schuler? Or, I mean, I know Schuler's injured, or just that that kind of idea. And it's like, look, Jermaine Jones is a quality quality player, and if you can get him on the field, you get him on the field. The guy knows how to play. And he's played center back before. He played it in Turkey. He played it in Chaka some, uh, somewhat. So so he, it's not completely out of left field for him, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he showed that. I think he showed that he can play that position. And not everything has to be in the context of 2018. And I think that's what maybe some people get a little confused is that they look at him and they say, well, he's definitely like he's too old to be in Russia. So why are we even giving him minutes? And it's like, no, nah, man, it's not always about Russia. I mean, you have the Gold Cup next year. You got Copa America in two years. He still can play at a high level. So why throw him out? Or why, why throw him out already? Right? There's no point in doing that. So I had no problem with the the, the, the experiment, and I thought it did, I thought it went well. Yeah, I thought he did a good job too. Josie Altador in this match, I was did get a goal earlier in the very uh, beginning stages of the match. Josie Altador. Did have an opportunity, but he played a poor ball to Clint Dempsey, and you're just kind of sitting there, be like, Josie, man, take it in, take a shot. Five minutes later, after that, he did that, muscled off a defender, did score a goal, and it's great to see Josie Altador uh, putting the ball in the back of the net. Right, I mean, you always, you like to see him score. He obviously scored at home, and, and his reaction said it all because he, you know, he's not necessarily a guy who gets overly emotional on goals, especially like when we want to talk about a friendly. But it meant a lot to him because it was in his hometown, uh, Boca Raton. He scored the goal. Uh, and uh, you know what? I tell you what. It's probably the, the last goal we're going to probably see from him 
until 2015, just because you don't really get a sense that he's going to get an opportunity at, at, at Sunderland. Uh, they, they've kind of settled on their squad now. Uh, he didn't even dress this past weekend in their last game. Um, so, you know, all he can do is try to fight for minutes, but the writing's on the wall there. You know, they, they have other guys. He's really not in their plans now, and if he's not going to get any minutes, then he has no choice but to move on, and he's already made it clear that he's ready to make that move, and I'm curious to see where he goes, and, uh, you know, it won't be MLS based on uh, Jurgen Klinsmann's suggestions. I mean, I think, you know, whether he goes to to the Dutch League and, a, you know, a team like PSV, I know there were rumors of Burnley. I don't think that's happening, but as long as he goes somewhere and he's going to get some playing time and he, and he can kind of settle in, uh, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. It's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that Sunderland hasn't worked out for him, but, you know, sometimes moves don't work out and you just have to try some something new. Makes this screwed in this match. I've played more, a little bit of a holding role. I, you know, I don't think that's maybe the best position for him going forward. It seems to contribute a lot to the attack when he's a little bit higher up. That changed when Michael Bradley was in the match, though. Uh, but would you make a miss Disgrude's up performance in this match? Well, he was actually well. He was SBI's man of the match. He wasn't my personal pick for man of the match, but I thought he did well. I know there was a lot of talk about the foul at the end, and he gave, gave a free kick. I don't even know if it was a foul. Uh, you know, when you watch the replay, it wasn't necessarily a clear-cut foul on his part. But I thought he did all right. I thought he did well. I thought he looks really smooth and confident on the ball. He's moving around well. I know there was a lot of hand-wringing about the, oh, why is he playing a six? Why is Michael Bradley playing the ten? They should be opposites. I don't know how many times I've said this before. For me, Mix is not is not an attacking midfielder. He just isn't. He's more of a central midfielder. And he can play deeper. He can play deeper, and I, th- I think he can. Um, so whether you go with a flat uh, for me, the diamond. I think I think we should just kind of do away with the diamond. Put it put it away. Put it put it in bubble wrap. Keep you know wait till you know Christian Pulisic or one of the younger playmakers, Junior Flores. Somebody comes along that is really ready to be a true number ten. I don't think the whole. I, I, let's just let's just give it up. Let's give it up with the diamond. Let's stick to four two three one. Let's stick to four three three. That's fine. The four four two diamond is not. It's, the personal is not there. Stop trying to make it. Stop, stop trying to make diamond midfield happen. That's the message to Klinsman. Um But yeah, no, I thought I thought he did well, and I think he's shown that before that he can do the dirty work. I always I always think back to the Gold Cup final when he came in for Stuart Holden, and he did a lot of dirty work in that game, and he did a lot of the, the kind of like heavy you know heavy lifting in the midfield. Uh, I know people look at the hair and the glam look and think, oh, he's got to be a playmaker. He's got to be flashy. <laughs> but no, he can actually, you know, get deep, connect, com- connect the midfield to the defense. He can do that. Like, I think I think that's in his game. And, and so, you know what, we'll see. We'll see how Klinsman try to fits the tries to fit the pieces together going forward. But uh, I tell you what, for these these over the three games since the World Cup. Mixed Discrude has been the best U.S. player. And you see the confidence. And if anything, that's making me say, let's get this guy in a bigger league quickly, yes. as soon as possible. And, uh, you know, uh, wherever that may be, whether it's the Netherlands or France, or he just needs to be in a better league, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. He needs to get out. He, he plays Rosenberg in the, in the Norwegian League. Yes, I agree with you on that one. Uh, his other counterpart, Michael Bradley, played right b- uh, behind the two forwards in this match in the Diamond. He was the attacking mid. Uh, you know, people were kind of bashing Michael Bradley. I, you know, I didn't think he was as sharp in this match, Ivis, as he could have been, but he did provide that assist to Josie Altador on that goal. What would you make of Bradley's performance? Great ball on the assist, but not, not much else was that impressive, to be honest. And I think he was tired. Uh, he had just played 90 minutes on Saturday uh, for Toronto FC. So to go from 
playing in 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 at Red Bull Arena. He plays ninety minutes, rough game. Uh, hops on a plane, comes down, and, and then plays a full game again. I think it, I think it took its toll on him. Um, and I think overall, I think the guy could use a rest. I, I know maybe he won't want to hear. Maybe he will disagree on that front. But for me, when you think about it, we're talking about a guy who hasn't had a legitimate break since uh, July of 2013, right? I mean, we're talking about a year now, uh, more than a year. Like he and and he's not going to get a break now until well, now he's going to get a break finally. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be similar to Clint Dempsey in the sense that we're gonna see his best next year. He he got this year under his belt. Obviously, Toronto has their problems, um, you know, personnel wise. But I think if TFC does a good job building around him, and even if they struggle in that regard, I still think I think he'll do better in 2015. And I know folks up in Toronto are all looking at him and thinking, "Oh, what a waste of money! He's not worth the contract." He's overrated, blah, blah, blah. Like, settle down, folks. The guy's quality. The guy's a good player. He just need. I think, I personally, I think once he gets a full offseason to, to rest uh, and, and he comes back recharged in 2015, I think we'll see the Michael Bradley that we expected to see when he first got here. I think we'll see that Michael Bradley in 2015. As far as the national team goes, that game, I think he was just tired uh, having just played on Saturday. So I, I don't think anyone should be to start questioning his quality and start questioning whether he's still a starter. He is a starter, folks. When the Gold Cup kicks off, if he is health, if he's healthy, knock on wood, he will be a starter. He's still one of the best players on the national team, even when even even not being at the same level that he was before. Uh, and then one player, I would say, you and I really thought improved his stock over the last two games. And he look, he's been a great player for Club Tijuana, and and that's Greg Garza. Uh, just Ivis, you talk about just his his confidence how calm he is on the ball, his ability to attack, his ability to contribute in the final third. I mean, Greg Garza, Ivis, I mean, look, left back's been in a position in the past where, you know, you're wondering who's going to be there. But, I mean, look, Greg Garza looks like a very nice option for the future of the U.S. men's national team at left back. I, I tell you, yeah, he's come away. If, if there's anybody that came out of these two friendlies looking like they should absolutely have the starting job that they, they were played in, he's the guy, man. He is your left back. Gave him the job when he's healthy. He is a natural right back, left back. He's left footed. He can get forward. He can defend. He's a solid, solid yes. defender. And it's like when you think about it, it's like it's it's okay. it's been a long time since you had a natural left footed left back who can defend well uh, on the U.S. team. It's just had you know. I mean, look, no, uh, yeah. I mean, people say, hey, look, what about Demarcus Beasley? Credit Demarcus Beasley stepped in. And, and put in a great year at left back, really helped fill the void there. Um, but you always kind of felt like he was a left winger playing left back, right? You always kind of felt like it's not his natural position. I feel like Greg Garza just feels like a natural left back, even though he also was a, tra- a, a converted midfielder. He used to be a midfielder, now he's a left back. But he, it, for me, he is going to be your starter. For me, when the Gold Cup starts, First game, Gold Cup, USA versus Guadalupe or whoever the heck they're going to play in the first round. He will be your starting left back. And moving over to some Americans abroad news, Joe Corona, Ivis, out with a broken foot. Looks like it's he won't be playing until 2015. Very unfortunate setback for him. Looks like he could have been uh, able to contribute to the U.S. men's national team, possibly Gold Cup. So a speedy recovery to Joe Corona. Very unfortunate injury to him. Right. I mean, the timing obviously is terrible. He had settled in as a starter for, for Tijuana and, and been playing regularly for them. Uh, he got into both these recent friendlies for the U.S. and, and Klinsman's definitely 
made him part of the plans going forward for the next cycle, which is good to see, especially considering he missed the cut for the World Cup. Uh, but, yeah, it's just a big blow for him. It looks like he could miss the rest of the year. Um, you know, he could maybe get back in time for the play. If Tijuana makes a playoff run, maybe he could get back. But if you're Tijuana and you want to take a chance, especially, you know, when you want to talk about foot injuries and broken, you know, fifth metatarsals and all that, you don't want to rush a guy back. Because if he has another, if he has a setback, he has another injury, then you really keep things to get really bad. So I think Tijuana needs to just let him get his rest. And have him ready for the for for the 2015. I think I think that'll be the best approach to because you don't want to rush it. You know, there's no need to really. Uh, some good news on the injury front, though. Terrence Boyd is back, Ivis. Uh, that, that's a nice little addition having Terrence Boyd back. I mean, he's a guy that's kind of fallen off a little bit. You don't want to say he's fallen off the radar, but I mean, look, he, he's still a prolific scorer when he when healthy. He when he is healthy, excuse me. Uh, so it's nice to have him back uh, for your Klinsman and for his club in Europe. Right. I mean, I think it's huge. I know a lot of people kind of forgot about him, you know, after he didn't make the World Cup team and it's kind of been out of sight, out of mind. Uh, but, you know, it's easy to forget. You know, he's he's at a new club now. He's at, at Leipzig and uh, in Bundesliga, too. Yeah, a really ambitious team that that has aspirations of, of, of a quick move up to the Bundesliga. So, you know, he's back now and he's going to have his opportunity. They, they obviously signed him uh, believing that he could lead the line for them and, and help get them to the to the Bundesliga, uh, and for those who don't who don't know, it's it's red. It's not officially Red Bull Leipzig because of issues with, with the league and, and the name, and I don't think they can use the name. But the owners are Red Bull. They put a lot of money into that team. They want to get that team into the Bundesliga as quickly as possible. And right now, he's going to have his opportunity uh, to potentially help you know go go up with them if they get if they if they make that jump. Uh, right now, things haven't gone so well for them right off the bat. I mean, right now uh, Leipzig is currently in fifth place in Bundesliga two. Uh, there's a big, there's a log jam, three way tie actually for fourth. Um, so uh, out of right now, they're only actually two points out of out of promotion place. As uh, uh, Ingolstadt, uh, Alfredo Morales' team currently is first place in Bundesliga two. But but keep an eye out for Terrence Boyd because I think if he can settle in. Uh, get that starting job at Leipzig and start scoring goals there. Um, I think he's going to come right back into the picture with the national team, and I think he'll be on the Gold Cup team. Well, Ivis, moving on to the women's side of the national team. The U.S. women's national team is competing in the CONCACAF Women's Championship, which is a fancy name for just saying the World Cup qualifier. Uh, It's eight teams in the CONCACAF region qualifying for the 2015 World Cup, which will be held in Canada in 2015. U.S. Women's National Team defeated Trinidad and Tobago 1-0 on uh, last week. Kind of a little bit of a lackluster effort from them. Lots of opportunities. But then they went out and defeated Guatemala 5-0. to Some little bit of injury news, though. I was Alex Morgan looks like she's going to be out for the rest of the tournament. But, I mean, hey, when you have you know Abby Wambach and Cena LaRue as your forward, I mean, speedy recovery to Alex Morgan. But the U.S. Women's National Team should be able to recover from this injury. Right. I mean, they're so deep. Uh, you know, they have enough forwards, right? I mean, so I, I don't think they need to worry. They're going to qualify – um, there's not much to talk about there. Um, you want to see what new faces kind of develop. And if anything, Alex Morgan's injury will maybe allow someone else to step up with, you know, someone like Kristen Press. I think she's on the team as well. So, uh, we'll see how they do. And the final group stage for the U.S. women will be on Monday night. So if you listen to the show, you can watch it tonight. It's at RFK Stadium. 
they are playing Haiti at this point. U.S. looks like they're going to move on uh, from the group stage, win that, and move into the uh, single elimination games from there. So a bit of good news, though. Ivis Orlando City has broken ground on their new stadium. If you have not seen it, the pictures look awesome. The supporters are out. They had a marching band, tons of people out there. The stadium looks awesome. I mean, everything just seems to be very, going very well for soccer in Orlando City. It's another positive step for them, and uh, uh, it's just it's good to see them kind of get over the hurdles and all the issues they had. I know that there were some stumbling blocks, and look, no stadium project is ever 100% smooth with no hiccups, but you, it's always when you see the shovels go into the ground that you can take a deep breath and relax and know that in a couple in a year in a year's time or less than a year's time you will see a stadium, and I think that's going to be fun to see, and I know people are going to be excited about that. Also, a bit of good news, though, even more of good news. If you're a New York Red Bulls fan, after reports coming out that the Red Bull organization didn't have enough money and they're going to be focusing more of their efforts in Europe, and then there's reports that, you know, if someone offered to buy money at the Red Bulls, they'd sell it. So, you know, and then they had to cancel the USL Pro team. Look, New York did not have some good press, the Red Bulls, last week and a half. But Ivis, they've announced plans for a multi-million dollar training facility expansion. That's big news if you're a Red Bulls fan. Right. I mean, I think that's uh, it just if anything, it just shows you that that they, uh, you know, they are still committed to, to, to the club and there is no active, uh, active movement towards selling the team. And I think we touched on this in the past. I think they're obviously as a business, they're open to offers. They're open to discussions. And, and, and you have to as a business, you always have to be open uh, to, to to discuss a potential move, especially when you think about Red Bull, the parent company. Uh, there's obviously a lot of reports about the, financially how they're they're not doing as well as they were. Um, so you know, look, if somebody wants to come along and throw a big, you know, four hundred million dollar, three hundred million dollar offer at you for for a team that didn't cost you that, you can make a profit and and, and you know maybe reinvest uh, into your German team or or your Austrian team. Then yeah, I mean, you can understand why they'd even why they entertain a discussion. But I think if anything, this this step definitely shows that. They are they are moving along as if they're planning to be there for a while. And with that, Ivis, we have reached the end of today's show. Before I let you go, yes, everyone, I know it's a long one. Ivis, anything we need to talk about, or do we get to everything? Uh, I think we surprisingly have been able to touch on everything after missing uh, missing a show and missing a show at a time when there was some really big, big kind of heavy topics to get into. Uh, the Garber Klinsman, I think, was great. Uh, great drama, great theater. Uh, it brings up some good discussion points, and I think that's that's going to be a conversation that continues to go on, whether it's you know the, the direct issues that were brought up by Garber, or even promotion relegation, which continues to kind of be that topic that that's gaining gaining kind of momentum, at least in the in the sense of people wanting to talk about it. Does it? It doesn't. I still don't think it's going to happen. Uh, in the immediate, you know, anytime soon, really. But uh, I think it is refreshing to have more people talk about it and just talk about things in general that maybe in the past would, would not have sparked this much convo. And as long as people are talking about soccer passionately, mm-hmm. then and that's always a good thing. I like that. That's a good observation. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But well, look, unless you're talking about it without trying to pick a fight with someone because they don't agree with your opinions, got to have mm-hmm. intelligent conversations. Yeah, you know, some people just have their ways of, of, of discussing it, and I don't think they're going to change. Just so blowing just... up the convert, you know, blowing up any conversation just because for for no. Ugh. 
All right. So, sometimes Twitter's <laughs> great, and sometimes it's like, ugh, why, why, why? Right. right. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Ivis, man, um, you and I both had a long weekend, dude. So I'm going to let you go, man. Let you go and relax, and uh, we'll do a show later this week. Yes, I think it's so. It's so, I always know when it's time to wrap up when I no longer understand what you're saying. What are you That's what I about? know. It's time, you, just, I, you, just, you sound like you're speaking a completely different language right now. No, I didn't. I said it's been a long week. I sound, it, I sound completely normal. This is, this is how you sound. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my impression of late show, Garrett. That's you. That's exactly in my in my ear. That's how you sound the last about two. Well, I, I did a lot of talking. I did, <laughs> hey, hey, I, I lost my voice on Saturday night at my <laughs> alma mater's football game. Yes, I'm going to give you crap. Why do you go to that? You know, then I had that, you know, color commentary thing on Sunday. So my voice, Ivis, is, is very parched from this weekend. Oh, uh, the humble, the, the, the subtle humble like brand drop. Yeah, you like that. I had to for put those, it in the show for, one time. For, for those who were unaware, Garrett did his first. Uh, you did color or do you play by play? Did I did color? I, I did color. He did his his first color commentary for uh, a college game online stream. Uh, I didn't hear it. If anyone if any of you have heard it, let me know. Let me know how he did. Um but yeah, so he uh you know he, he so he had that, he had the football game, and that's why he now sounds like Benicio del Toro from Usual Suspects. Um, Dude, but, I, wa- you know. <laughs> hey, I, I I watched that movie for the first time two weeks ago. I know, I know. It's it's one of those movies that you know. It's that's a it, that's an all time. I know, I know. That's on my top ten all time list. I know, and I, I'm, you know me. I'm a movie guy too, but it's always been one of those movies where I'm just like, oh, I'll watch it later. I'll watch it later. And I finally watched it. Oh, it's awesome. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, if anyone hasn't seen The Usual Suspects, please go see it. Yeah, I, I won't say this. I did figure out the twist though before they said it at the very end though. I'm sure you heard about it at some point. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. About 20 minutes ago, I was like, I swear, you you didn't figure... I figured it out. It was pretty obvious. Uh, I don't don't believe you. I'm serious. You you know what? Without even hearing about it at some point in your life... And I actually... Yeah, I mean, I I remember when I saw the movie. Yeah, I agree. It's not... it's not that hard to figure it it's out. Not like, it's not like it's not like six cents where you're just like, holy crap. Like right, that, 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 that caught yeah. everyone off guard. We're spoiling every movie possible in the last in the next No, we're minutes. not. We're just saying no, it's just All right, let's say just, anything. Everyone's gonna hate us. But anyway, yes, if you if you haven't seen it, go see usual suspects. Wait, speaking of spoilers, you watch Walking Dead? Yes. Oh, amazing, oh amazing first episode. Oh wait, actually. Oh, did you watch no, number wait. two? No, actually, oh. I, I'm gonna watch it right now after we finish. So do not even think about saying anything. Because I will, I will, I will do a Michonne on you and, and, and you know take a sword. Take Actually, do you watch The Talking Dead afterwards? Oh uh, yes, I do. They had Badger on from uh, Breaking Bad. Uh yeah. All right, no more spoilers. Let's not even discuss. Look, Walking Dead, everyone watch it. Usual Suspects, everyone watch it. Gotham, I recommend. I, I, I've enjoyed that quite a bit. It's uh, it's the Batman prequel TV series. I highly recommend it. I think I think it's got, gotten off to a pretty good start. So there you go. I need I need to watch that. All right, um, I'm gonna let you go, Ivis. Yes, and hopefully we will have a show at the end of the week. In case for whatever reason we don't put this on your calendars now, Barcelona, Real Madrid on Saturday. Make sure you have everything planned to watch that because let's face it, if you're a soccer fan, I don't care if you only like MLS, you have to watch Real Madrid Barcelona. I might, the, I might be. What time is that? At? I might be busy during that time. Uh, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but it's in the afternoon. It'll probably be the afternoon, two, might, three, two, two o'clock, three o'clock. If you don't watch it live and tape it, you have to watch it because it's the best. It's it's really 
the best uh, the best game you're gonna see, the most collection of talent on one field that you're gonna see. Luis Suarez is, yeah, I believe, make, gonna make his debut for Barcelona. Uh, but you know what? We'll we'll talk about it on the next show. Hopefully, we have next show uh, before the weekend. So. I think Stay tuned I'm, for that. I think I'm going to miss it. I'm, I'm doing a zombie walk this weekend. It's Phoenix's annual zombie walk. It's awesome. <laughs> Everyone okay. dresses up as zombies and gets drunk, and you walk around like zombies. It's hilarious. This is the stuff. Yes. Are you sure you're still in college, Garrett? I'm starting to wonder about <laughs> I that. Did it with, I did it with my parents last year. It was hilarious. It's, it's, it's funny. It's like, dude, 5,000 people do it. You really need to move to New York so you can have real things to do. I guarantee they have a zombie walk in New York. Uh, I guarantee anyone listening to the show yeah, put it in the comments yeah maybe somewhere like randomly in Manhattan like one block but it's not like I don't know whatever <laughs> you, I, no, I know you if you were out here you would I, you would be like oh this is pretty cool I know you I, I know you you, you, what is, what you, are you we would try not to look you know you'd be like I know you, we, you'd like sit in the corner it's too cool amateur hour uh, <laughs> all right, Ivis. I'm going to let you go, man. All right. All right. Uh, as always, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Ivis, have a good week. I'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. And uh, we appreciate any reviews on iTunes, any comments on the website. I am Garrett Clever. That is Ivis Galarza. We will be back later this week. This is the SBI Show. Yeah.